The fractious relationship between Fiji and its bigger Pacific neighbours since the military coup in 2006 has meant Suva finding new friends. Fiji's military commander, Commodore Frank Bainimarama, is planning elections for next year, and New Zealand has further eased sanctions, with Australia set to follow suit. But this Radio New Zealand Insight programme asks if the relationships with Fiji can be restored. Soldiers are there now. The Prime Minister has been informed that uh, he is under house arrest. And as we speak, we have close to uh, 30 military... The message of the New Zealand government to the President and to the Commodore is very clear. They should pull back, even at this late stage, from their unconstitutional actions. We will ban all travel to Australia by um, Commodore Barney Marama, his family and other supporting members of the Republic of Fiji military forces and we will ban all travel to Australia by people and their families who... Leave Fiji alone. Let us deal with our internal affairs and respect our right as a sovereign nation of the United Nations. Now our standing in the world has never been stronger. A key principle that has guided Fiji's political development and foreign policy, soundly grounded in the Charter of the United Nations, is that we determine our own destinies as sovereign states. At the same time, in the last fortnight, Fiji's regime leader and self-appointed Prime Minister Commodore Frank Bainimarama took to the stage at the United Nations 68th General Assembly in New York. Regrettably, and to our great disappointment, some of our oldest friends had no faith in us. They abandoned us and sought to punish us with sanctions. We sought their assistance and understanding, but they turned their back on us. Soured relations with New Zealand and Australia and Fiji's suspension from the Commonwealth and the Pacific Islands Forum have driven the military-led regime's search for new friends and alliances. I'm Sally Round. And this insight asks how Fiji is positioning itself globally and what's behind its foreign policy. Can new ties endure? And will long-standing friendships be reignited? Back in August at a luxury resort in Nandi, Commodore Frank Bainimarama took centre stage at the inaugural session of a new regional body, the Pacific Islands Development Forum. The gathering was Fiji's response to its continuing isolation from the region's lead political grouping, the Pacific Islands Forum. It was suspended from that body and the Commonwealth in 2009 for not holding elections that year as planned. Representatives of Pacific Island states and territories, community and business groups were there to discuss sustainable development. But the significance for many observers was the spotlight it shone on Fiji's present-day international relations. Taking their place on the dais beside the Commodore, the leaders of Kiribati, the Federated States of Micronesia, Nauru and the Solomon Islands, and at the centre, East Timor's Prime Minister, Janana Guzmao. Tonga, Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu sent cabinet ministers to the event and took the back seats. Samoa's Prime Minister, who's been a staunch critic of the regime, was unsurprisingly absent. In total, 14 Pacific Island states and territories out of the 23 invited turned up, 
as well as dozens of observers, including diplomats from Australia and New Zealand. We believe, we believe that, that green, green is a noun, a, noun, a verb, verb, an adjective. And as an audiovisual presentation pressed home, this initiative was about the voice of Pacific Islanders. Fiji's Foreign Minister Ratu Enoke Kumbumbola was clear about the declared purpose of the gathering. This is on sustainable development. It's never been set up to compete with any existing regional organization. It's uh, something that uh, has been lacking in the Pacific, where the three sectors, uh, government, private sector and uh, NGOs, can uh, come for the first time and sit together and talk about sustainable development. Many that took part could see the need for such a body. The Director General of the Secretariat of the Pacific Community, Dr. Jimmy Rogers, says Fiji's idea breaks new ground by providing the tiny states of the Pacific with more muscle on the international stage in the same way as other regional blocs. The Caribbean countries are very well organized. They have meetings, they have their positions before they go out. Uh, the African countries are very well organized. Toholu Kami of the International Union for Conservation of Nature says the PIDF is no magic wand for the region's problems, but it fills a gap for countries which have become donor-dependent and institutionalized. I think that everything else includes Australia and New Zealand, every other existing mechanism. I think there is a time when the big brother has to stand aside and say, let them talk in their language and let them see things through their eyes and come back and say, this is the direction we want to go. The president of Kiribati, Sanote Tong, has long wished to see Fiji readmitted to the Pacific Islands Forum and has given his full support to the new body. If anything, it would enhance the Pacific voice because we have everybody involved here. Previously, because of the politics of the Pacific Islands Forum, Fiji is not involved. It is important that Fiji should not be totally excluded from everything else that's happening in the Pacific because they are in the Pacific, they are part of the Pacific. And I think engaging, re-engaging them in a different forum, I think it does not detract from the, uh, the suspension of Pacific Islands Forum, but I think it highlights the reality that we could never really disengage from Fiji because we, have, we do have one Pacific Ocean. Mick Beddoes is a former leader of the opposition in Fiji and member of a group of unions and political parties, the United Front for a Democratic Fiji. He was not invited to the meeting. It's a big hoopla about nothing. It's just a, a PR campaign, a, a, a new stage, a new platform to try and project some form of legitimacy for the regime. Uh, but the reality is they can't change the truth of who they are. They are the usurpers of our democracy. This is a way to be seen to be splitting up the solidarity of the Pacific Island Forum. The Prime Minister of Samoa, Tuilai Pasailile Malayalengaoi, who's been a trenchant critic of the Fiji regime, declined the invitation to attend. He explained why at a Polynesian leaders' meeting in Auckland. I felt uh, strongly that uh, another institution was unnecessary and it would, uh, in fact, duplicate uh, what other organisations are doing now. But, of course, at this time, one can understand where the initiative is coming from, from a government which is excluded from the forum. To me, when uh, Fiji has gone through the general elections and providing its fair and the results accepted and he is admitted back to the forum, then I think that organization would die a natural death. <laughs>
end of the Nandi gathering, the Fiji government announced it would be setting up headquarters for the new organization in Suva. I asked Fiji's Foreign Minister Ratu Inoke Kumbuambola whether Fiji was no longer interested in rejoining the long-established Pacific Islands Forum. We are not interested uh, in, in uh, joining the Pacific Islands Forum as is. And there needs to be some changes before we can uh, go back in. Can you specify what those changes might be? That uh, everybody is equal in the, in the Pacific Islands Forum. For example, Australia and New Zealand, they need to decide whether they are a donor and also a member. If they are a donor, then they stay out. The unstated problem is really a sense of a, a lack of respect that uh, they feel they've been given over the last uh, six or seven years now. Tasmania-based political scientist Dr Richard Herr has advised Pacific Islands governments for nearly three decades. He's the director of the Centre for Regional and International Affairs at the University of Fiji, which is supported by the Fiji government. They feel they've been treated uh, worse than they should have been, especially given the way in which previous coups had been treated and in which... Uh, uh, relations with Fiji uh, have been treated, but also in comparison to regimes that have uh, much worse records than they've had. Dr. Herr says the new grouping and Fiji's foreign policy in general have been driven by recent fractured relations with Australia and New Zealand. The regime was especially annoyed at not being readmitted when its suspension came up for debate last year, and it's long been irritated by the sanctions Australia and New Zealand imposed after the coup. Michael Poles was New Zealand's High Commissioner to Suva in the early 80s. He says Fiji was a thriving regional hub. I think it was very much seen as a hub in the Pacific, and this was uh, for numbers of reasons. One of the reasons, in fact, was um, uh, the convenience of the former colonial powers, the former metropolitan powers. It was, it was very useful for uh, the more distant former powers, like Britain and so forth, but certainly for Australia and New Zealand, to have this efficient, prosperous, well-governed country, uh, independent country that was going to be the centre of things and good communications, they all spoke good English there, and very efficient bureaucracy, it was very convenient. So that was one factor. Another factor, possibly bigger one, was that Fiji's Prime Minister, Ratu Sir Kamasesi Mara, was seen very much as a leading Pacific politician. The former diplomat has watched events unfold since the coup, including Fiji's expulsion of the late Michael Green, who was New Zealand's High Commissioner to Suva from 2004 to 2007. I think the seeds were there for a long time before that. And I'm afraid I, I have to say that it, it relates to Bani Marama's very strange personality. People would go to a lot of lengths to try and get alongside him and talk to him. And it's worth acknowledging Winston Peters went to a lot of trouble to try and get alongside him and actually had a bit of a dialogue, but it was not that long before things turned very sour because Winston was then Minister of Foreign Affairs and, and, and put a lot of effort into it. People, These people thought they were making progress and then Bainirama wouldn't deliver or he would go back on something. After uh, there had been a change of government and uh, McCulley became uh, minister, he himself wrote a letter to, to Bainirama indicating that it'd be nice to start afresh and, and, and sort of new relationship and so forth. And Bainamrama just dismissed that out of hand. It'd be very hard to deal with people like that. Dr Herr says the turnabout in relations has placed a lot of stress on existing regional ties. It's driven a big wedge through the Pacific Islands regionally, 
there have been those who have felt that they've had to take sides unfairly and seen themselves dragged into a divorce that they wanted to maintain good relations with both sides. It's affected the institutional arrangements. It's been my argument throughout that the forum ought to have been the friendly uncle that comes into a family dispute and maintains relations between both sides and tries to solve the problem. Instead, it's been brought in as a policeman to enforce a proper behavior, and that hasn't worked well. Fiji's main focus in the region these past few years has been cultivating its relations with the family of Melanesian nations that it belongs to, Solomon Islands, Vanuatu, and in particular Papua New Guinea. PNG's government recently announced it would provide more than 19 million US dollars to help Fiji prepare for elections in 2014, and it's been invited to provide observers at the polls. The Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea, Peter O'Neill, explains why his government was keen to help. And our job is to engage with the uh, current administration so that we can have a free and fair election. And that is why Papua New Guinea is putting resources into this effort, uh, resources that we cannot afford to part with. Uh, we have our own challenges, but we believe strongly that uh, uh, we need to take the lead in making sure that uh, the electoral process takes place and all Fijians have an opportunity to uh, vote for their leaders. Commodore Bainimarama earlier this year handed on the leadership of the increasingly influential sub-regional organisation, the Melanesian Spearhead Group, or MSG, which also includes the pro-independence FLNKS of New Caledonia. This year's Otago Foreign Policy School heard how Commodore Bainimarama has been primarily responsible for the resurgence of the MSG and for capturing the international attention it has craved. Jenny Hayward-Jones is the director of the Melanesia program at the Lowy Institute in Australia. She says the Commodore's success has presented a dilemma for members of the group whose founding agreement calls for the respect of human rights, democratic principles and the rule of law. It's also arguably not in the Melanesian way to engage in open confrontation. So it would have been quite difficult for MSG members to take Fiji to task in the way that forum members um, did in 2009. Now, despite the fact that no official action has been taken on Fiji, previous leaders' meetings have seen the other leaders talk to Fiji's Prime Minister about the mechanics of a return to democracy in Fiji. So it wouldn't be true to say they've done nothing. Um, they've just done it behind the scenes and not, not put it in communiques or made a fuss about it. Fiji's star has risen seemingly not only at the MSG. Commodore Bainimarama also heads the International Sugar Organization, and he's recently taken up the chairmanship of a coalition of developing nations at the UN. Dr Richard Herr regards the positions as an indication of the Prime Minister's standing on the international stage. He seems to be well regarded. I mean, if you look at where he's positioned when he speaks to the UN, he's certainly not relegated to the also-ran category. He's uh, now, of course, chairman of the Group of 77. It's certainly something that's uh, not inconsequential and it's something that Fiji values. There's elements of rotation, of course. The positions have to become available. Also, it goes down, I think, to the effectiveness of the Fiji diplomats abroad who have been very good at engaging with the new openings. Certainly the UN mission has been particularly effective and active. The former diplomat Michael Poles is not so enthusiastic about the international positions. I don't see it as a great success. I mean, I think it's very easy 
for a leader to go and shake people's hands and here I am with the president of Mesopotamia. Uh, we are great friends together and we're going to get on wonderfully on the world stage. Perhaps I've been in diplomacy for too long I'm a little bit cynical but whether it ever leads to anything I think is another matter entirely. But it's not all been rosy for Fiji in the international sphere. The International Labour Organization has castigated the regime for attacks on unionists and a decree severely limiting union activities and the rights of workers. And the influential NGO Amnesty International continues to blast Suva for breaching basic human rights, including rights to freedom of expression and association in Fiji. Amnesty says the new constitution, which Commodore Bainimarama presented to the UN last month, was a step backwards for human rights in the country. It has been a long journey, and we have faced numerous challenges along the way. But it is with great pleasure and uh, deep honor that I stand here today and say our national compass has finally been reset. So why hasn't there been a stronger stand internationally against the regime? Dr. Richard Hur says it's a matter of degrees of perceived wrongdoing. You're looking at an international community that are used to dealing with the, the worst of excesses in Africa, Asia, Latin America, etc., and putting them into some sort of realist perspective. And when they look at Fiji, they don't see the same uh, level of problems. Now, Australia and New Zealand, of course, have taken the view that uh, we've got a special leadership role in the region and therefore we should help to exercise some leadership and uh, influence over the rest of the uh, international community to how they view events in the region. But as we've seen, even our Western allies, for example, Japan and Korea, India, haven't imposed the same level of sanctions on Fiji, indeed Korea, because of the access through Korean air is one of the major ways in which travel sanctioned members of the Fiji government get abroad. On his trip to Fiji last year, a senior Chinese official, Wu Bangguo, delivered this statement. We are opposed to the bullying of strong countries over small or weak countries. The Chinese are opposed to the imposition of isolation by some countries over Fiji, and China will continue to talk to relevant countries to engage on a constructive and equal footing and the basis of equality and solidarity of differences. China is the focal point of Fiji's so-called Look North policy. At the Otago Foreign Policy School, China's influence in the Pacific was the hot topic. Political scientist and China scholar Anne-Marie Brady argued Fiji looks to China not only for financial support, but for moral support too. I argue that the regime has been given legitimacy by China's support, China sees it doesn't interfere in the internal politics of other countries, but it's given its support to a regime which overthrew the democratically elected government and its support is delaying the return of true democracy in Fiji. China helped fund the recent Pacific Islands Development Forum and there have been many high-level exchanges and deals signed, including help for the military and police. In the first six months of this year, according to Fiji Media Reports, China's aid to Fiji increased by 26%, to 125 million US dollars. Chinese infrastructure companies have a strong presence in Fiji. But Fiji is just one country among the region's recipients of Chinese aid and other assistance to the region, estimated by the Australian think tank the Lowy Institute at 850 million US dollars between 2006 and 2011. That's well behind Australia and the US and just behind New Zealand. 
a Fijian scholar based at Otago, Dr. Alumita Durutalo, had this observation of the regime's relations with China. I gather the fact the Chinese do not judge when they try to help. That is one interesting uh, point that draws Pacific Islander leaders to the Chinese. They come in and don't judge. Uh, you're a bad boy, shape up. They don't do that. They come and just help out. A coup leader and former Prime Minister of Fiji, Sitibeni Rambuka, told the scholars at the Foreign Policy School the regime's engagement with China is not new. At the moment, China is meeting a lot of our needs. So when the traditional need feeders uh, come back, we may say to them, where were you when we really needed you? Observers say the Bainimarama government has gained confidence from its China relationship and struck out further afield. Three years ago, it joined the non-aligned movement of countries, and in the last two years, it's cultivated relationships with the other so-called BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India and South Africa. It's also opened a host of new diplomatic posts. In September alone, Fiji linked up with Ukraine, Andorra, Guatemala and Uganda. Commodore Bainimarama is now planning to stand for election next year, despite promises after the coup that members of the interim government would not contest the polls. There's some disquiet the Fiji regime as using its international profile for its own domestic campaigning. Mick Beddoes of the United Front for a Democratic Fiji remains sceptical about Suva's new relationships. Now that's not to say that you would immediately scrap your relationship with somebody like China. We would need to alter that relationship. Every, every country on the planet, including the, the very countries that support a democracy in Fiji, have deals with China. Uh, that's not an issue. But I think it's the severing of our regional relationships in preference for looking north. I mean, what in heaven's name have we got in common uh, with North Korea? I can't imagine. The Yangona, or Carver Bowl, is the traditional focus for airing views in Fiji. At this session is a group of Suva's young professionals. They describe themselves as critical thinkers. They're lawyers, teachers, civil society workers. This is their outlet for frustration at political apathy among young people. They don't want to be identified because although they're allowed to meet, now emergency rules have been lifted, they still fear speaking out. Conversation turns towards foreign diplomacy and Fiji. They say the international community needs to have smarter policies, given doubts the promised elections will be free and fair. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's pushing us into a hole that we won't be able to dig us, ourselves out of. As Australia and New Zealand usually tout themselves as being the big brothers, and this is our backyard, I think it is only fitting and about time that they think of a much stronger foreign policy. Because we don't, only, don't only be big brother when it suits your yes. agenda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at We're only big brother after 9-11. No, but also with the, with the sanctions that they did place on us, but also it affected the young people. Yeah. You know, people who wanted to go to and school in New Zealand and Australia, have scholarships, they couldn't apply because their father was in the military, their mother was in the military or whatever. It didn't really target the root people It, didn't, it yeah. affected the innocent people. Yeah. And obviously you're going to stay in Fiji. What are you going to do? Your father's in the military. Why don't you just join the military? You can't go and pursue your we career. And, yeah. and for a lot of young people, military was the only option. International community needs to have a smarter foreign policy. Yes. You know? A smarter, Definitely. more sustained foreign policy. Not that 
once we have elections, they put out all the money that they have in civic education and put it somewhere else. I think there needs to be a sustained civic education program where they continue this. In recent weeks, New Zealand's Foreign Minister Murray McCulley has announced the travel bans on senior officials in the Bainimarama administration will continue to be eased and sporting sanctions lifted, although bans on the military will remain. Scholarships for students from Fiji will also be re-established. And Australia's new government says it's keen to normalise relations, saying it will be guided by Fiji. Mr McCulley says the relaxed stance is in response to Fiji's progress towards elections next year. Um, and we have to ask how we're going to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And I think that the solution here is the holding of elections and we need to focus firmly on helping them get across that line. I think um, there'll be some issues uh, in the constitutional debate that we hope will attract further attention there. But um, over, overall we want to try and see uh, the machinery for elections put in place. We want the elections to be free and fair and uh, to the extent that there are uh, fine-tuning issues to be dealt with going forward there'll be some time to do that. Meanwhile the Pacific Islands Forum has also decided elections will mean Fiji will be readmitted to the fold although Fiji is insisting on changes to the organisation first. As the Pacific Islands Development Forum wound up in Nandi, Fiji's Foreign Minister Ratu Inoke Kumbuambola explained why Fiji would not be allowing in high commissioners from Wellington or Canberra to Suva anytime soon. Uh, we've been uh, looking at, at some of the things uh, being uh, done by Australia and New Zealand towards Fiji and we believe maybe we should hold back on the, on the posting of the high commissioners in Fiji and also high commissioners in Canberra and Wellington. I think we continue to campaign against Fiji in uh, different forums and uh, we've been told and we from reliable sources and even from some of uh, the leaders who had been uh, approached not to attend this meeting. So what is the future for Fiji's foreign relations and has a new diplomatic landscape been embedded? I think some of these alliances will remain simply because uh, Fiji will not easily return to the level of trust that it once had with Australia and New Zealand. I think it's, this is one of the real tragedies for me is that we have had a long period of distrust. I can see this in terms of the young public servants that I educate through the University of Fiji. They see themselves in a much more open and fluid international environment than was true in the past. Traditional loyalties aren't there to build on so easily. We were dealing with a situation of some really ruthless people and their record in human rights and the way that they behaved in Fiji was, you know, it was really atrocious. The former diplomat Michael Poles says a hard stance on Fiji has had mixed success. What it did, in fact, was make Bainimarama and his people dig their toes in and become more adamant and more arrogant. But we don't know, of course, if one hadn't taken that kind of step against them, what would have happened then? Quite possibly the situation could have been worse on the ground. And there's also the factor of civil society in Fiji. Fiji has for a long time had one of the most sort of active and vibrant sort of civil society people, both in the human rights field and politically as well. And I, I think it was important that for their morale, for them to know that there were governments that mattered from their point of view and mattered to Fiji who were taking a stand. I think the new arrangements will continue, they'll be real. They will not necessarily be as upfront, and they won't be on the front burner perhaps so much once proper relations are restored. 
But equally, I don't see proper relations being restored easily for a very long time. I'm Sally Round, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Chris Keogh.